0: This morning I'm going to jump right in and as we come to this time of worshiping God through the preaching of his word, I do want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, to bring to you the second part of the message I've called the power from him living in the power of the gospel. Um, And as always, please stand for the reading of God's word. Once again, I'm going to begin in verse 3, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it does also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. You may be seated. The gospel is not called good news merely because it brings salvation but because it initiates sanctification. Something I shared a little bit about last week. Salvation is that point at which we are justified in faith before God, forgiven of our sins. We're rescued for an eternity. Instead of being an eternity separated from God, we have an eternity in His heaven, in His presence. But sanctification is that ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to make us holy or sanctified. There are two aspects of sanctification. The first occurs at the point of salvation. When God declares after we've been justified, you are holy, you are sanctified, and therefore you will be in my presence. But as we all know from our own testimonies, the testimonies of our own lives, We're not perfectly holy right here and right now. That declaration by which God gives us assurance will be made in heaven when he tells us you are now completely holy. You are perfectly holy. Here and now as we live on earth, we still battle with the flesh. We live with that every day. And so we cannot be perfectly holy through the work of the Holy Spirit. The gospel begins the process of sanctifying us, making us holy, by giving us the power to overcome the very sin that draws us down or attempts to draw us down. This is what we would call progressive sanctification, the process by which God is making us holy, the process by which he works in our lives through his Spirit to transform us into the image of his Son, between now and either when we die or Christ returns. Indeed, that is the power of the gospel, its ability to sanctify those who believe. Last week, we saw the first part of sanctification when we discussed the gospel power to impart in the second part of um, verse 5. Specifically, the gospel imparts hope, hope of a future free from the sin of this world. One in which we will be made holy and no longer need to wrestle with the issues of the day. But rather we can find ourselves content in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the gospel has a power to impart. Specifically it imparts hope. We talked about how it does that. Specifically through oral proclamation. Through the preaching and teaching of God's words. It's not merely by lifestyle alone, but he calls upon us to teach with words. That's how the gospel is conveyed. And finally, the manner in which it's done is in truth, as the second part of verse 5 says. If it's not true, then it cannot be the gospel. And so today, as we move forward, we see the power of the gospel in the area of progressive sanctification, Moving from that initial declaration of justified, we now see the gospel's everyday power, everyday work in the life of a believer. And so I want you to note, second, the gospel has the power to impact. In verse 5, the gospel had the power to impart, and now the gospel has the power to impact. And reading in verse 6, we read these, Indeed, in the whole world it, the gospel, is bearing fruit, And increasing, as it also does among you, the Colossians, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Never does the gospel decline in prominence. Never does the gospel decrease in effectiveness. And never does the gospel depreciate in value. It never declines in prominence because it is the pinnacle of humanity's story. It's God's story of rescuing us and delivering us. Because it comes from an all-powerful God, it is the all-powerful gospel. And therefore, it never decreases in effectiveness either. And finally, it never depreciates in, in value. In fact, for the believer, I would tell you the gospel always appreciates in value. As in, it always increases, it always goes up. Because every day is an opportunity in which we can awaken and see God's grace in our lives. The more we see the gospel in our lives, in our daily lives, the more we appreciate the value that it has. And so the gospel appreciates in value, meaning it means more to us now than when we first believed. The mark of the gospel's authenticity and the mark of the gospel's authority is its ongoing influence in the world, in its ability to impact the world. At the writing of this letter, it has been roughly 30 years, slightly more, since the death of Christ. And that's given ample time, sufficient time, for the gospel to impact the world at that time, to spread out and go beyond just Jerusalem and even the immediate region. It's a message that has now been taken up by others ensuring not only the longevity of the gospel, but also the measure of the gospel's impact. That impact is evidenced by its ability to bear fruit, as the text says. Just as a genuine believer is known by his or her fruit, the genuine gospel is known by its fruit. Fruit is a frequent picture in scripture. We see it all the time. And in fact, in probably about three weeks, we'll see it once again just in our text in Colossians, in verse 9. Comparing and contrasting fruit, Paul writes this in Ephesians 5, 8, and 11. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Fruit of the light here is described as that which is good, right, and true. All terms they express that express the quality of the gospel message. The gospel is good because it brings good news, as it says in Mark chapter 1. It is right because it makes people right with God, imparting righteousness from God to those who believe, as highlighted in Romans chapter 1. And because it imparts God's truth, it is truthful. We see that in Colossians 1.5 just in our text last week. Not only does the gospel bring new life, causing new fruit, but it says it is increasing, It is growing, as some translations say. In Acts chapter 12, while angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, Herod sets himself against God. And you may remember this story because it's notable. Because not only does God strike Herod down, it is at this point that he is eaten by worms. And then in verse 24, it says this. But the word of God increased and multiplied the truth of God is always increasing and always multiplying because it's always causing people to know God more. In our limited vision, often we'll look at the world and it appears to us that the impact of God's truth is waning. We think that there's not as much existence or much belief in the existence of God as there is or once was. We say that it doesn't have the influence that it once had. But never in Scripture is it presented as lessening. Never do you read the Word of God and it says, but Scripture's influence waned at a specific time. On the contrary, it is always increasing, meaning that the, the gospel, meaning that the Word of God and His truth are always producing spiritual maturity. It is always working somewhere in someone. Here, in our text, it is pictured as continuously working in the lives of the believers in Colossae. Just because not everybody believes the gospel doesn't mean there aren't some that are still growing right now. I hope that as we hear the word, we are growing. And therefore, it is increasing and bearing fruit. There is no backsliding. The word never diminishes but rather the power of God's word is seen in its ability to bear fruit and to continue producing maturity. You see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Since God is the force behind God's gospel, and he's the one that causes that gospel to work and cause fruit and growth, and he is always working, then we should expect that the gospel is always working. And it's working on a very large scale. As further evidence of the gospel's power, it's not merely growing and increasing, but it says in the text that it is doing so in the whole world. It is doing so worldwide. See, the gospel of hope is bigger than you and I, it carries an authority to places that you and I will probably never visit. It is bigger than our city. It covers the entire earth from end to end, from pole to pole. Considering the attacks on the gospel throughout all of history, something I even listed out last week, the ongoing influence of this message is pretty phenomenal. It's pretty extraordinary. And it's a surprising demonstration of the power of the word. But it's really not as unexpected as it may seem. In Christ, a fruitful yield is always certain. Mark chapter 4 opens with the story of a sower. Another story that we likely all know. And this sower is sowing his seeds and throwing them out. And verses 4 through 7 say that some of those fell on rocky ground or rocky soil. Some of those fell to the, fell to the side and they were eaten by the birds. And some of them just fell among weeds and never produced. But then there were some of those that were planted and they were planted in good soil and not only did those seeds produce, but it says they produced in tenfold or thirtyfold. They increased. To produce fruit, a life source is needed. Good soil. Many of us know John 14, 6 and Jesus Christ is life is what it says. I am the way, the truth, the life. But John pictures that further. He gives us the life source in Christ in John 12, 24. And it says that his death is the soil that gives life. You see this in John 15, 1 through 16 as well. It is there that Christ is pictured as a vine and the people as the branches. And those branches produce fruit because they're connected to Christ. He is the life source. The gospel is influential only because it derives its power and it derives its life from him. Do not be surprised to see the gospel is bearing fruit and that it is increasing. The gospel will never die because it finds its life in Christ, the one who conquered death. The power of the gospel is simply an expression of the power of Christ. If God's truth if God's message truly has the power to impact the world, I have to ask, why are we more consumed by the word of the world than we are by the word of God? We spend more time reading what the world has to offer than reading the very word given to us by God. For the past two years, or almost the past two years, Our lives have been dictated by society's analysis and its response to COVID-19. As a result, people are intaking these huge amounts of information. They're talking about the latest trends. They're looking at the recent stats and the discoveries and increase in knowledge. Some people spend hours upon hours researching as much as they can about what is known and even what is unknown about this virus. But the answer to the situation is not found in the world's word. The answer is found in God's word, in God's hope. In fact, if you rely too much on the world's analysis, you won't find yourself hopeful at all, but hopeless. Instead, it is just as verse 5 tells us. Hope comes from the word of truth, God's word. And the world doesn't contain God's truth. I was discussing this concept with friends yesterday, fellow pastors, Um, and we were talking about how the world and its word really does not impart hope. I wish I was making this up, but as we were talking and having this conversation about how it really instills hopelessness and really drags us down, this truck drives by with its flags in the back, full of foul language and everything saying what was wrong with the world. And the three of us could do nothing but help, but laugh, because it just proves that very point. The world's word will always bring you down, but his word will bear fruit. And so it is God's word that needs to influence our lives. Look at the fruit of the world's message in the last years, as evidenced even by that truck. Strife, division, anger, hatred, and even violence all things that would certainly qualify as fruit of the darkness, as it says in Ephesians 5.11. But how does Ephesians 5.11 tell us to respond to fruit of darkness? It ends by saying, expose it. Expose it to the light. Expose it to the gospel. Because that bears fruit. That bears fruit that is good, right, and true, as it says in verse 9. Do not dedicate your life to knowing the gospel of the world. Dedicate your life to knowing the gospel of God. Because only God's truth will bear fruit of the life, fruit of light in your life. It is the only word, therefore, that any of us need to know. When the world's word sows fear, God's word sows faith. When the world's word sows anxiety, God's word sows assurance. When the world's word sows sorrow, God's word sows satisfaction. And when the world's word sows a doubt of God, God's word sows dependence on God. If you find yourself struggling at any given time, perhaps you need to return to God's truth again. Perhaps you need to invest less time in listening to the words of others, and instead listen and hear the word of God. Perhaps you need to spend less time listening to your own words, and more time repeating God's words to yourself. This week I received a new book, and it's got a collection of writings by Corey Ten Boom. And what it's really meant to do, well, I don't know if it's released yet, so I, I don't know if I should even say, this book basically recounts some of her life stories, And if you know anything about her, her life is quite extraordinary, partly because of the time she spent during World War II and in prison for hiding the Jews. She tells of her call to return to Germany after the war, the very place that was the source of so much sorrow for her. And yet, that's what she indeed felt the call of Christ was, because she wanted to share the good news of Christ, recognizing the dire situation they were probably in. And so in this book, she writes of times in which there was great confusion. Many had been separated from loved ones. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know if they were merely missing, didn't know if they were still in a camp somewhere, or if they'd even just died. That confusion led to desperation. Desperation in which people sought answers from anything and anyone she singles out specifically the prevalent use of fortune tellers during that time. And she describes the time as horrible, full of horrible fears, full of guilt and depression and anxiety. And she writes this. Instead of depending on God's power, the people rush to the enemy for help. And we know the enemy is a liar whose very purpose is to deceive people and lead them away from the truth. She captures several points well with that. The first being that in their worst moments, people seek source from the very, seek support from the very source of those moments. The one that is causing the evil in their lives and the horrible guilt and shame and depression in their lives is where they go to to find the opposite. When you're in despair, you don't seek help from the one who causes you despair. You turn to what overcomes that despair. We turn to the gospel. Peter writes, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that, by it, you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's First Peter 2.2. It's not by accident that the structure of Paul's letters always follow the truth of the gospel. Even when confronting sinful situations, Paul always brings it back to the message because it is this message that brings the fruit of transformation. Because it is anchored in Christ who gives life and transforms. So like the structure of Paul's letters, our lives then are most stable when their structure is built in the very same way built on the foundation of the gospel and framed in by the very word of God. When you find yourself at your worst point, turn to God's truth, even if you don't desire it. Start there before you go to anything else, because it is the power of God. Nothing else is described as the power of God within all of scripture. The gospel is. It is so powerful, it impacts the entire world, our text tells us. So why would we not first seek help from trans- for transformation in our own lives from the gospel? And if that connection to God's power in your life is not sufficient enough to convince you to turn to the gospel, then be encouraged by another reality from our text. That the effect of the power is immediate. The verse reads... Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it does also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Since the day the Colossians heard and understood this very truth, it had an immediate impact on their lives. It began to bear fruit in their lives. Why would we turn to the gospel? Because the impact is now. It's not a delayed response. But instead, once a person is affixed to the gospel, it begins to take hold. It attaches itself to a person's heart and to a person's mind so that moving forward, the gospel influences what a person takes in. And what a person puts out. That is what we put into ourselves and what we put out of our lives. As a result, when we encounter a situation, we must turn to the gospel. Because the effect of it in our lives is immediate. When we're feeling prideful, we come to the message because it humbles us by reminding us of God's grace. When we're, certain we've, when we're uncertain, we come to the gospel because it brings us peace. It reminds us that in this moment, this moment has no bearing on the future. It fixes us on the future with Christ and imparts peace. But the effect is not merely for negative experiences. We don't just come to the gospel because we don't want to be depressed. we don't want to be de- prideful, but it impacts positive ones. A new job. The gospel causes us to see God as trustworthy that he provides for his people. A kind word and the truth of God turns our heart to him in thankfulness. Thankful that somebody would even utter a kind word. And above all, in every circumstance, the gospel causes us to rejoice at who God is. Notice, though, that immediate activity came only when they heard and understood And more specifically, that they understood God's grace, according to our text. There are many things in this world for us to understand, to learn about. But if we do not understand the grace of God, we do not understand anything at all. Remember that the Church of Colossae is being infiltrated by false teaching. The false teaching specifically of Gnosticism. And this teaching suggested that there was a higher form of knowledge available to only the true Christian. But instead, the text is showing us that there is only one thing to know and understand, the grace of God. That's not a higher form of knowledge. That's knowledge available to everyone. The gospel is the message of God's grace because it tells believers, it tells the message of how undeserving we are, you and I, and that yet we still received an unreserved grace. Rather than facing judgment and death, God granted forgiveness. The message of the gospel is on full display through the grace of God. I'm thankful for the Christian Standard Bible's translation of this verse, because instead of using the word understand, it translates it truly appreciate, conveying that we not only understand intellectually, the grace of God, but that we begin to appreciate really what it means, that we begin to appreciate the impact it has on our lives. Understand does not signify complete knowledge because it is dependent upon what God chooses to reveal. He may not choose to reveal everything. Therefore, understanding is not exhaustive, but it's intensive because we seek to understand what he has revealed it calls upon believers to understand that with God, what, that which God has revealed by examining his word, by meditating upon it, and putting it into action. More specifically here, it is called to understand the grace of God. God's gospel impacts the world because it imparts God's grace to the world. That concept of grace is a radical concept. It stands in stark contrast to the message that we get from the world. The world thrives on the exact opposite of grace. It seeks confrontation. It seeks conflict. Conflict and controversy drive ratings, increase readership, and create interaction. And because of that, what is being introduced into the world is more of the same thing because it sells. As I was preparing my message was listening to a podcast discussing a a particular church. And at one point, this church was massive, and then it planted other churches across the United States. But then it began to decline before its final demise. The church experienced this rapid growth and influence, and theologians analyzing the situation traced that growth to one thing, The church thrived in controversy. It gathered attention because it would say things that were controversial. And so it would attract people in because they just wanted to see what was going on. And then often they would stay. This is what draws people in. And they engage more with it than they would just a casual, everyday conversation. But that's not grace. Being the opposite of conflict, grace is quite countercultural. Grace is not how the culture usually thinks. Even for believers, grace is contrary to our sin nature because it introduces things like kindness and patience and forgiveness and compassion and thankfulness, stuff that we struggle with on a daily basis. It injects them into the circumstances of that moment of whatever we're facing. To bring God's grace in the world then is a shock to the system. It stuns people because grace is not how people normally function. God's gospel has the power to impact the world because it inserts that grace into the world. Grace transforms relationships. It transforms our relationships with our families. It impacts how we deal with our children. It transforms our relationship with friends. It even transforms our relationships with our foes. It impacts how we suffer, causing us to pray for the very ones that may oppress us, that they too one day would experience God's grace. God's grace impacts how we confront wrongs, causing us to confront out of the love of Christ, not out of the love of self. Milton Vincent writes how God's grace In the gospel impacts his love for others, saying, this is a little bit longer. When my mind is fixed on the gospel, I have ample stimulation to show God's love to the other people, for I'm always willing to show love to others when I am freshly mindful of the love and grace that God has shown me. Also, the gospel gives me the wherewithal to give forgiving grace to those who have wronged me, for it reminds me daily of the forgiving grace that God is showing me. Doing good and showing love to those who have wronged me is always the opposite of what my sinful flesh wants me to do. Nonetheless, when I remind myself of my sins against God and of his forgiving and generous grace towards me, I give the gospel an opportunity to reshape my perspective and put me in a frame of mind wherein I actually desire to give this same grace to those who have wronged me. The grace of God imparts God's love into the world, impacting the world by transforming relationships. The grace of God is also liberating. It introduces freedom into the world. Grace frees us from the guilt of our sin. I spend a lot of time reminding you how horrible you and I are. I spend time making sure that we realize that people aren't good despite what we often say i do that because when we recognize who we are not we begin to recognize who god is and we begin to celebrate his grace the forgiveness that he has given us and we begin to extend grace to others his grace frees us from the guilt of sin we do not need to be despondent over our failures downcast over our inabilities or dejected over our sin because God's grace has been extended to us through his forgiveness. Thus, it has liberated us from the slavery of sin. And finally, God's grace introduces joy into our lives. It causes us to rejoice over any situation because we rejoice over this incredible, undeserving gift the influence of the gospel in our lives we are joyful in this world because we have the hope of truth in the next if you're underwhelmed by god's grace then read romans 4 5 where it's written and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly his faith is accounted as righteousness While this verse is a demonstration of God's grace in its totality, there's one particular phrase that shows just how exceptional God's grace is. It says, Him who justifies the ungodly. God does not justify the godly, He does not seek those who deserve grace, He does not seek those who deserve His mercy. He justifies the ungodly. It is those who are the lowest, who are the most troublesome, most horrendous of all people. In other words, you and I. Those who are the most least deserving of all people are those that God justifies. That's a picture of God's grace. If we don't understand the grace of God, we don't understand the gospel of God. The gospel has the power to impart Specifically, it imparts hope to those who are hopeless, as we saw in the second part of verse 5. Now we see that the gospel has the power to impact. The world's word has no power, but the power to be manipulated by Satan. It will destroy hope by destroying truth, resulting not in fruit of the light, but fruit of darkness. If you listen to the world's gospel, you will find yourself both hopeless and helpless over the situations of the world but turn to god's word god's gospel god's truth and it brings forth that which is good right and true it bears fruit by transforming us into sanctified servants the gospel does what you and i cannot do and that is transform ourselves and transform the world by transforming lives if god's message has such power why are we so willful to neglect it? Why are we so will willing to fulfill ourselves with the word of the world at the expense of the word of God? Let's pray. Our Father, come before you rejoicing at who you are, rejoicing that we can know this truth. We can know your gospel, Lord. And that we can see that it is indeed fruit-bearing, Lord. Not only does your word tell us that, but we see that in the testimony of the world. We see how it's impacting others. We see how it's impacting us, Lord. And Father, we just give you great praise that that indeed is taking place. Father, I pray that you would call us back to your gospel lord that you would make your gospel real and relevant to our lives that we would desire it that we would infuse our lives with it by the work of your spirit that we may walk in it and it would transform us because indeed it is a powerful gift it is the gift of your grace lord something that we definitely didn't deserve that we didn't earn that's what makes it grace Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take this gift for granted. Father, cause us to throw ourselves at your feet. Cause us to to understand this grace more and more, that it may appreciate and value in our lives every day as we recognize who we aren't and who you are, Lord. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. May your word continue to work in our hearts. May it show us power by now transforming our lives, even as we leave from here. We commit all these things to you, in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.